0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. So we are continuing in our series this week called Who Are You? And uh, we've been examining together the truths of the scriptures regarding issues of identity, And the vital importance of our identity being found in Christ. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. uh, And we're going to study together tonight the incredibly powerful truth that part of our identity as children of God is that we are soldiers for Christ. While you guys are hunting down Ephesians 6 in your Bibles, uh, I want to read to you a different set of verses. It's 2 Timothy almost fell over there. I don't know why. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Let me read those to you while you're looking for the other one. You, therefore, my son, this is Paul talking to Timothy, his son in the faith. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me, As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So we see a couple things here. We see Paul's admonishment first here to suffer hardship as a good soldier. He's asking Timothy to join him in the work of being a soldier for Christ. Uh, And then we see the most likely cause. In Paul's mind, at least, and I think he was right about it, the most likely cause for a Christian to abandon their post or end up being unfit for this duty of being a soldier. I'll read verse 40 again. It says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. The truth is, guys, we have to admit this about ourselves. We are so prone to self-centeredness and self-focus And the entanglements of everyday life that we often forget there's a battle going on in the earth. And that we are supposed to be actively engaged in it as soldiers who loyally serve our king. I don't know about you, but I know that there is a tendency for me to get distracted and caught up in what's going on uh, in my life and the lives of those around me on a daily basis. And to have my eye taken off or or my focus pulled away from the fact that I'm enlisted as a soldier uh, serving under Christ as my king and that I got a job to do. Uh, It's really easy to get distracted sometimes and uh, we need God's help not to do that. Uh, You can call me crazy, but I kind of think it's strange that we have to be reminded that part of following Christ is being a soldier in his army and it also means that we are called to engage in the spiritual battle all around us. I think it's a little wild that we need to be reminded of that. I feel pretty confident in saying, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on military structure, but uh, I would be pretty confident in saying that when soldiers are involved in a battle, when gunshots are ringing and explosions are happening, I don't think there's a guy on the squad whose job is to run around and remind everyone they're in a battle, right? I think that, that would be almost a foregone conclusion, we're in the middle of this thing, bad stuff's happening all around, we're either winning or losing but we probably don't need a reminder that it's happening. Right? Right. You're excited about that. I can tell. That's good. Um, So here's my question to us. Let's think through this. How do we get so dull and blind to the fact that a spiritual war rages around us every day? I think the entanglements of this life and the distractions of selfish pursuits are factors for sure. That seems to be what Paul was most concerned about. But I also believe that a lack of prayer regarding this is a big part of the problem. I, I'm going to share this with you. I, I pray this for you, Love City, very often, this specific prayer. And I want to ask you guys to begin praying it over yourselves and over this church family as a whole. If you look in Ephesians 1, uh, Paul tells the church at Ephesus that he prays this prayer for them often. Okay, so I'm going I'm to read you this portion that Paul says, I pray this for you uh, Ephesians all the time, okay? Here's what he says. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. It goes on to say that what he's, what your, the eyes of your heart are being enlightened to is is the glory of Christ and the beauty of his kingdom and all of these things about Jesus um, and, and when our eyes are open to that, it keeps our focus kind of centralized on what matters most. Um, but my great hope for us is that we have the wisdom of God, the power of God, and that the eyes of our heart are enlightened, and that we're not, we're not walking around with the reality of, of a spiritual battle around us every day, and kind of deaf and dumb to it, and, and dense and not understanding what's happening. Um, and so I pray that for you all the time, and, and I would ask that you begin to pray it for you and pray it for each other, because I don't know about you, I need more of God's wisdom in my daily life. I need to be able to look at situations and see not just the, the carnal factors that led up to this difficulty or whatever's happening, but I, I need to understand the spiritual elements too, because most often there's it's not just something carnal, when something bad or, or tragic is happening. Most often there's also deep spiritual elements as well, but sometimes those, those are harder for us to see, especially if we're not praying prayers like this or asking God to help us with the wisdom and revelation to understand it. As we will see from the scriptures in a moment, we are in a spiritual battle whether we want to be or not. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are. The only question is will we engage by the power of God and win Or be smacked around because we are ignorant or indifferent to the fact that the battle is happening? That's the question. So we're in uh, Ephesians 6. I told you we'd start in verse 10, and we're going to read to verse 20. So let's do that together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate And pray on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When's the last time you prayed and asked God to give you the boldness to speak the gospel truthfully in difficult situations? And when's the last time you prayed that for other brothers and sisters? I just think we should, especially based on this right here. Uh, it's, it's an important thing. Uh, Paul clearly cared about it, and, and I think we should too. We see from verse 20 that Paul is imprisoned while writing this letter. <laughs> First of all, man, so we get a flat tire and we're, we're ready to cry and uh, give up on the faith and, and go home. You know what I mean? I, we, sometimes, woo, we, we, th- we have what we think is a bad day. Paul is here writing this kind of stuff, this kind of beautiful, inspired like, strong language as he's sitting there in chains for the gospel. He's not sitting there going, I'm in jail. Clearly God didn't show up or clearly God didn't do what he should. He's, he's right here caring deeply about the Ephesian church that he planted and caring deeply about gospel mission going forward um, as, you know, as I'm sure his arms are getting tired as he's trying to write with chains tied on him. right? So let's get a better attitude, church. All right. You're not in jail, okay. Yeah, all right, um, we'll keep going. So we see that he's in jail. Um, that means that he is in the custody of Roman soldiers at this point, and so uh, it is, it's no surprise that armor and the reality of spiritual warfare is on his mind, okay? Uh, he also uses some very interesting language here when he calls himself an ambassador in chains, The ancient Greek word for chains does mean the ones that a prisoner would wear, like shackles. Um, But also, on occasion, the same word could be used to describe the lavish and expensive jewelry that ambassadors would wear when they would visit other countries. Um, They would wear these things, big gold necklaces with lots of jewels, big gold bracelets, um, kind of really showy jewelry that these ambassadors, they would wear these things because they wanted to show the wealth and power and glory of their home country right because an ambassador's job was go from your country to another country and you're representing your homeland and so they want to show up decked out right they got their Gucci suit they got their Prada glasses right alligator skin shoes they're on point you know they didn't they didn't Prada hadn't come around yet so instead they had these big heavy gold chains um, big you know really lavish adornments and uh it's, it's really beautiful what Paul does here by using this language because we see what he's saying kind of inside of that is that Paul considered his shackles to be glorious adornment of an ambassador for Christ. In the same way an ambassador would have that showy, beautiful stuff, his chains, his imprisonment for the gospel, he saw having the same ability to, to show the power and the glory of his homeland, um, that, that those chains weren't going to stop him, that he was still going to be bold all the way until whatever the consequence was. And uh, I don't know about you, but that gives me tingles up my spine and makes me want to be a better Christian. So you can do what you want with it. I'm excited about it. Amen. Verse 10. So let's start working through this together. Uh, It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we often overlook verse 10 um, and we see it simply as kind of the statement before the famous armor of God that begins in verse 11. I think most of us have at least encountered verse 11 or we've seen an inspirational poster with it on there. Most people know in Ephesians 6 somewhere there's this language of the armor of God, pretty well-known verses. Verse 10 can kind of seem like just an unneeded prelude, but it's important to realize that we are told to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might before we are told what armor to put on. I don't think this was just Paul trying to think of a creative way to start a sentence. He was thinking in a line of logic and he's, this is something we needed to know before he gave us the, the specifics of these, the, the armor that we should wear. And so um, he, he, here's why I think that is. If you try to put on a suit of armor when you are weak and emaciated, you're going to crumble under the weight of it before the battle even begins. And so first he's saying you need to be strong in the Lord and strong in his might. We are strong in the Lord and the strength of his might when we are humble and we are dependent on him. We are strong in the Lord and the strength of his might when we do not neglect our equivalent of spiritual basic training, right? We don't just let people show up at a recruiter's office, sign their name, and then throw them in combat gear and ship them over somewhere to start fighting, right? What do we do first? Send them to basic training. We need to make sure, A, that they're at least strong enough to hold the tools they're going to be given to fight with, right? We got to give them some some basic understanding of what it is that they're going to be doing, and uh, try to build them up to the point where then, then we can give them the tools to go fight the battle. So, uh, first of all, we, we can't jump the gun on that. Um, if we neglect the simple disciplines of time in God's Word, prayer, and fellowship with other believers, then we won't have any business suiting up with this armor to go do battle. And really, we'll just be ran over by the enemy. So, it's the, it's the simple spiritual disciplines and any, you know... People oftentimes will come to me and, and they'll begin to unpack for me a struggle that they're having, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record or like I have nothing else to say. Pl- pr- trust me, I've got plenty to say, and, and, and whole lots of areas we could go in trying to figure out you know, the roots of every issue, but I almost always start with some upfront questions. This is going on. I'm struggling this way. I can't think right about this, or um, I'm going through this struggle. Almost always, I want to know a couple things first. How, how you, how's your prayer life? How much are you talking to Jesus? Like, how much time is your face in the book? Like, you know, in the totality of your day, how much, how much of, of the world's junk versus how much of the truth of the word are you taking in? It's going to be real hard for you to think right about anything, right? If it's been a week or two since you've looked at this Bible that is the source of truth. And, I, you know, it's, it's not like, I, I don't know if people get tired of hearing it. Well, well let's do that stuff. Then we, then we can get some armor and go do something, right? I mean, are, how are you doing on spending time with other believers that are going to encourage you, love you, challenge you, be like iron sharpening iron for you, right? You withdraw and you isolate and you spend a time on your own? Are you too awesome for fellowship with God's people? Yep. Well, let's start there and then maybe your life will stop falling apart. We're having fun, right? All right, good. We'll find something you like in here, I promise. It always happens. I'll get to something you like. Okay. Uh, we also learn from this that even though, hear me, even though we know his strength is perfected in our weakness. We know that that's true. Um, still, we should not be in a constant state of crisis or struggle. The default mode for a Christian is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Okay? I, I just want us, I want, us to th- I want us to think more about verse 10 in our lives. I want us to wake up and then assess around lunchtime and then, and then again around dinnertime. Like, if I was to stand in the mirror and say, I am strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Would I be telling the truth? Or, or, or have I been beat down by the lies and the, and the yuckiness of the day? Yuckiness isn't a very theological word. I know. I know. But, you know, sometimes you just, you just got to say stuff to catch people's attention again. So I thought yuckiness might bring us all back. Um, the, the, the default mode for a Christian is to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That's, wh- that's where we should stay most of the time. Now, please don't think I'm saying we should never struggle. That's not at all what I'm saying, and I definitely don't want you to wear the everything's great mask, right? We do that. You guys know, you all know, y'all know somebody who, when they're asked how are they doing, just say good and, and can you know, summon up a half-cracked smile, and then they want to move on and not have you ask any more questions, right? You all at least know somebody else that's done that before. You, you haven't, I know, but we don't want to do that. We're not talking about being fake, Right? talking about being real, walking in the light, however, we should, we should I, just, I just want us to think more about reality, reality is because of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. And Paul says because of that, because the gospel's true, because the enemy's already really defeated, that in general, most of the time, if we do have our face in the book and we are spending time in prayer with God and, and we are spending time around people that believe like us so they're encouraging us, that most of the time we can be strong in the Lord and in, in the strength of his might. Amen. And so I just, maybe, like, you know, I think it's always, we always have to, we have to, we have to avoid extremes because I think... We talk a lot here about walking in the light, being open, don't be fake, because that's really important. I think the the default position of Christians for a long time has been to show up on a Sunday, in your Sunday's best, have a country club meeting and go home and try to make sure everyone there knows that your life is totally perfect. That's not helpful because that's not true. And so we've we've tried to undo that tendency, but what I don't want that to cause is an overswing where we think, Oh, well, holiness means I'm always broken down to nothing, and, and that's, that's kind of where I should stay. We have the option, because of Jesus, not because of us, but because of Christ and his power, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So I just want, I want our expectation for a little bit for what life and our perspective should look like to raise a little bit. I'm trying to poke you with the faith stick. You happy about it, or are you biting at it? We used to have a, used to have a pond I would go to, when I was a kid, and there'd be snapping turtles, and we'd poke at them things with sticks. All you animal lovers, give me a break. It's a snapping turtle. We'd poke <laughs> them with sticks, man, and those things, like, they would, they would just wait a second, and then they turn around like, and just snap that stick in half. So don't do that when I poke you. Just smile and like it, okay? Don't be a snapping turtle. All right. Um, where am I here? So, uh, yeah, I'm not saying we should never struggle, but overall, we can be strong in the Lord. Um, I don't want you to wear the Everything's Great mask all the time, but we should remember this. If we remember this, this will, this will help us to stand strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. If we remember this, that, that you, you may be pressed today, but the Bible says you're not crushed. That you may be persecuted today, but the Bible says you are not abandoned. You might be struck down today, but the Bible says you're not destroyed. And if we will remember those things, even in the midst of being persecuted, struck down these difficulties, we can, we can, we can stand firm and stand strong in the strength of the Lord. I know you might be knocked around, but you're not done. Why? Because you're on team Jesus and there is infinite power at your disposal and available to help you to come back, right? I get knocked down a lot, but hey, I'm going to get back up. You can't beat, you can't beat a guy that won't stay down. Amen. Jesus didn't stay down. I'm walking after him. Woo. They hit him hard, didn't they? Couldn't keep him down. Amen. That's my king. I'm in his army. All right, we're at verse 11 and 12. It says, uh, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, we would have a seventy-five percent reduction in conflict inside and outside the church with other people if we believe that verse right there. First of all, you know what I'm talking about? We are so, like, we are so carnally minded sometimes. Like when when issues arise, we we just I don't think we pray the prayer that Paul prayed. Um, I don't think oftentimes we do have. Um, Wisdom and revelation, I think oftentimes the eyes of our heart are are blind as can be. And so oftentimes we get sucked into these situations and we see it only for these carnal factors and we don't understand, man, there is stuff behind the scenes. There are spiritual factors here and we don't war against people. We're going to talk a lot about spiritual battle today. I need to make this distinction now. you got to understand, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Why? Because we're not fighting people. We're fighting against our common enemy, Okay. It's really important. So verse 11 and 12 tells us that we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he's a schemer. The book of 1 Peter says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You can think of that roar as a constant flow of deceptions and false saviors and idols that pour forth from his mouth and it is only those who are either ignoring the fact that there's a battle or that do not know the truth whom he may devour with his lies. Do you see that, Key? We, we, we hear this language, and I think we miss the point sometimes. Peter said that, this, that Satan is like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, you, I think we focus on the lion part. And we're like, ooh, that could be scary. Lions have claws and teeth, but, but we don't understand. Here's what he's really saying. He, he's just walking around talking a lot. He's a roaring lion. He's walking around roaring, seeing whom he may devour. The roar, it lets him know, who's scared of this? Or who's going to buy this junk that I'm selling? Those are the ones he can devour. The Christian who is steeped in the truth of the gospel, standing firm in the faith by the power of Christ, the roar, they're not intimidated. They're running at it. Where'd where'd that come from? Who's who's got a problem today? Here I come. Right? Right? That's, a, that's how we're supposed to walk, and I think a lot of times because we're not steeped in the truth of the gospel, because we're not standing strong in the armor of God, because we are overtaken by lies and idols and false saviors half the time, even those of us who are supposed to be the front line of defense against that stuff are, are over here quivering when the roar comes. That's got to stop. we got to stand firm in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. I hope you're getting excited about it. I hope you're getting some faith and vision for your life being different and you have an effect in this fight. Because there's a fight, folks. You're in it. And you're, you're either on the sideline just getting ran over, ignoring what's going on, or, or you're going you're to cause some problems for hell. And I hope we're a church that causes problems for hell. I'm not just talking about slowing them down, I'm talking about them going in reverse. Jesus said he was going to build his church in the gates of hell, weren't going to prevail against it. What was he? he, he I, I, I really like it when Jesus talks trash. What was he saying? We're going to win. That's a big deal, man. You don't go into sporting events and stuff like, I mean, you know, I, I know sometimes guys do run in their mouth, but you can't speak with the kind of confidence that Jesus spoke. There's still always a chance, you know, it could go the other way. There ain't no chance, that's so what I'm telling you. Ain't ain't a word. I know. But, but I, lo- I lose all the theological prowess when you guys stare at me like that, when I'm trying to talk about how powerful Jesus is and how much we should have an effect on the atmosphere we're in, man. Yeah, all the pretty language is going away. You guys are going to make me go hood here in a second. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. Woo, all right. I'm just glad I serve a powerful God. I don't know where you're at on it. Like, I need him to be, right? Because my life can be jacked up. There's a lot of really weird stuff happening in the earth today, stuff that makes me sad and really confused. And, And if it wasn't for the promise of him being so much bigger and more powerful than I could ever hope to be, Uh, I I would, I'd be a very scared person. I would have retreated already, but I'm not gonna, because that's not what the Bible tells us about our God. So it's uh, it's only those who don't know the truth or those that are ignoring the fact that there's a battle that Satan can devour with his lies and false idols and false saviors. Um, I, I need to say this, if you've been around here any amount of time, I, I, you've, you've heard this, but it's something, it, 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 this is such a pervasive misunderstanding, I feel like we need to say it often, and uh, I, I feel like repetition for you will help you e- be equipped to dismantle this understanding in, in, in kind of the world around you. Satan and God are not equal opposing forces, we need, we need to understand this, right? Most, and it's when people say stuff like, oh, every religion is, is fundamentally the same, no, no, they're not most religions understand the darkness light paradigm the good evil paradigm as equal opposing forces right like like magnetic like like you know positive and negative or you know they, they see light and dark they've got the yin yang going on right with perfect equal balance we got you know in eastern mysticism and stuff it it flows into our movies and our and our entertainment um you see this idea all the time that it's like this tug and pull and and they're equal and that's, that's not the picture the Bible paints of what this looks like at all. Let me give you an example. James 4, 7. Who knows what that says? Okay, church, praise God. This is homework right here. Don't come back here next week without knowing this verse, okay? I love you. James 4, 7. Here's what it says. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That doesn't even sound like a fight to me. It gives me one step. Submit to God, and then all I have to do, I don't have to fight real hard. I don't got to even be that good at fighting. All I have to do is, resi- if I put up resistance, it says the devil has to flee from me. Why is that? Because I'm a bad man? No. Jesus is. Because the battle's already been fought. And if you know who you are in Christ, if you know who Christ is in you, then th- there is no tangling. There is no wrestling. There is no fighting. There is only somebody saying no because of the authority of Christ, and he's got to go. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. A lot of people forget the first part of that verse. Submit to God is the key. You go around resisting the devil and you're not submitted to God, guess what? There were seven sons that tried that. They got their butts whooped. You know what I'm talking about? Go look it up if you don't. Real interesting story. Submit to God, then resist the devil. And here's the beautiful promise. I don't know if you heard it the first time. Let me say it again, because you should be excited about this if you belong to Jesus. He will flee from you. Woo! I, I like the idea of my enemy, the one who hates me and hates my God having to flee from me simply because I'm connected to the God that whoops him every time. Amen. Amen. Man, he's saying whoops and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yep. <laughs> the less excited you act, the further south my accent's going to go. So there you go. You know what's happening now. Amen. I like the south. I'm not, I'm not giving him a hard time. Uh, okay, so Satan is our enemy because he wants, and I, no, let me say this, I got real excited and said, don't come back if you don't know that verse. Maybe you struggle with memorization. You're welcome here. I don't care how many verses you know. <laughs> but I, here, here's what I want to say, man. <laughs> y- y'all need to know that verse, okay? We need to know that one. That's part of why we're getting beat up out here. That's part of why, that's part of why we're, not, we're not standing firm in the power of his might. Because, because we don't know the truth. Because all these lies and this constant message that the Satan's big and bad and and, and man we're we're whew, we're outnumbered, we're overwhelmed, look at all how dark the world is. I t- to you know I don't care. Because this is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. I don't care what the, I don't care what the counter message is. I've seen it true, man. If you submit to God and resist the devil, he'll flee from you. He will run scared because he's already tangled with Jesus and it didn't go well for him. <laughs> And now I have the same power by which Jesus destroyed his enemies at work within me. Amen. So I'm gonna quit cowering. I'm gonna stand firm. And I want you to as well. I won't make hell scared. They should be. Satan is our enemy because he wants everyone to rebel against God with him. That's why he's our enemy. Before you question the reality of this, based on the idea that no one would ever rebel against God if they had been as close to him as Lucifer, right? So I've heard that before. People will, as you explain to them kind of what we know about how all this went down, it's like, you know, how could Lucifer ever be dumb enough to rebel against God? I mean, it's, it's a solid question, right? Because you think you're in the presence of God. How do you get so sideways stupid as to try to rebel against him? A God who is... Infinite in glory, power, majesty, and strength. How do you ever get so dumb as to stand in opposition to him, right? And so I guess that's a, that's a solid question, but, but it has an answer. And so don't discount what the Bible tells us based on, you know, a question that, that you or somebody else may have, because I, w- I, I would offer you these, these thoughts. How could Lucifer be so dumb, even though he was in God's very presence in heaven, as to rebel against him? Okay. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden talked with God face to face and yet went sideways stupid enough to rebel against him, right? Uh, those, Those were fun because we were talking about somebody else. Now we're to us. And you and me that have the whole New Testament given to us we got the Gospels that tell us that Jesus came and did what he did. we got Acts that begins to show us what happens in the earth when the Holy Spirit is loosed and the church has begun to be built. We have the epistles that give us all this beautiful language to understand how we live in light of what Christ has done. How do we, with all of that, rebel and get so sideways stupid that we would decide that there's a path better than what God has laid out for us? So let's not discount the story. Pride has an incredible blinding effect. Somehow, Lucifer was so overtaken with pride that he, it blinded him to the fact that his efforts would be completely futile forever. Pride is a damaging, terrible thing. And we should constantly, by God's Holy Spirit, be examining ourselves and opening ourselves to his examination to root it out all the way to the deepest part of our heart. Because it's, it's trouble. Pride is poison and uh it, it never goes well for the person that lets it stay there sin is rebellion against god and satan is about that business it has become a bit taboo honestly to even in in god's church to discuss these things a lot of times churches don't talk about satan much because then you know the word hell comes up and people don't really don't like that so a lot of times these things are avoided, and and, and even reading verses um, like verse twelve that say rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness, that starts to kind of sound a little freaky and weird, and people get get weirded out because they like they don't read the next verses down that say like none of that matters and God's power trumps it all, and you're supposed to have it right. So, but people just don't like to mess with this stuff, and well, we're going to and. I think the, re- the reality is that more awareness of the reality of our enemy may actually be helpful for us in the way we think. I think we, we can kind of disregard the fact that we, we have a mission from God, yes, but, but there's somebody else with a mission that's counter to what we're supposed to be doing. That's real. Spiritual warfare is real. Battle is happening. And it's going on whether you want it to or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. It's there. And you you're playing a part in it somehow. It might just be you're laying down, getting kicked when somebody runs by you, but you're you're in this thing. We all are. Uh, and I, I I mean, if I'm gonna be a part of a battle, I'd rather be whooping than you know getting whooped. So I, I don't maybe you guys never been in a fight before. Winning in fights is better than than not. I don't know if you've never been hit, but it hurts. So if you're doing more hitting than getting hit, it's a good day. All right. <laughs> Satan has been sowing seeds of hate and division and pride among mankind since Cain and Abel. Okay? This thing has gone, it goes all the way back. Uh, these, these seeds he's sown have unfortunately taken deep root, and their fruit can be seen plainly all around us. This has caused people everywhere to treat each other as enemies, constantly thinking themselves superior to others and unwilling to focus on the strengths of their fellow man and instead focus on their struggles. We're warned against this repeatedly in the Scriptures. Think of other people more highly than yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't be of haughty mind. And yet, over and over again, most of us, uh, as we perceive other people, are really good at naming off all the things that make us cool and really good at naming off all the things that make everyone else not so cool, right? We've got to reverse that. We need to get humble in our thinking. And uh, it's really damaging that we, oftentimes even in the body of Christ, buy into that junk. There's a, ver- there's a verse in Romans where it says, I, I don't, this is such a great verse. It says that we are supposed to try to outdo each other. We should be in a contest all the time with each other. Wait, what contest? That's mean. No, this is a good one. There's a winner and a loser. I don't like that. Well, hold on. You didn't listen to me yet. Here's the contest. It says that we should constantly be trying to outdo each other and showing honor to one another. I should be in a fight with you all the time to try to show you more honor than you show me, to try to be to try to serve you better than you serve me. Man, what a, can can you imagine what this would look like if we bought that verse, hook, line, and sinker? Can you imagine what the world, what message they would receive from a people that lives to each other and for each other like that? Now, I will say this. I've been a part of a lot of stuff and I think Love City does as good a job as anywhere else at that, but I think we could always do better. And I'm talking about not just, maybe, maybe sometimes we can get ourselves to do the right thing, but I, I want all the way in my heart, I want to think of you as more important than myself. I want, to think, I want to think, when I think of you, I want to think about all the things that makes you valuable to God's kingdom. I want to think about all the reasons why. If I'm in a spiritual battle, I want you next to me. Your strengths, the things that God put in you and makes you an effective soldier for Jesus Christ. Those are the things I want to think about you. I don't want that tendency that happens in humans to, when I think about you, start thinking about why I'm better than you. That's nasty, isn't it? Ah, oh, it just feels gross saying it. But we do it. We do. We struggle with that. We got to get humble. Amen. <clears throat> Satan knows the power of unity in people, and so one of his most effective schemes throughout time is to get us to treat each other as the enemy instead of him. Isn't that sneaky? I'm the enemy of all mankind because God loves them. But here I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke and mirrors and shuck and jive and I'm gonna get you guys to focus on fighting with each other instead of focusing on me. Because really if people it, I mean, if just the people of God who love Jesus today would get their act together and stand in, in a firm line against Satan, he'd be having a whole lot harder time trying to do what he's doing. But furthermore, I mean, if, if the power of unity among God's people begin to bleed out, and, and that was part of what drew people into understanding that, you know, team Jesus is the one you want to be on, wow. So what has he done? Well, he's, he's sown those seeds since Cain and Abel, the air the of superiority, pride, the, the divisions, right? And he's got us to look at each other as enemies. And that stuff amazingly even creeps into God's church. People jockeying for position, caring about how they look in people's eyes—it's disgusting. If there's one place on earth it shouldn't have any effect, it should be here. And so that's why we all—we talk about a lot: strife, contention, um, prideful, like you know, issues. As soon as that stuff tries to rear its head here, we're we're on it. Boom, we're in there. Let's have a discussion. Yay! Come to Jesus meeting. And then normally we get in there, we, we talk about the scriptures and everyone thinks right for a minute and, and we hug each other and there's some tears and on we move, right? Um, but, but we're not going to, you know, the book of James also says where there is strife, man, there is every kind of evil. You let that stuff go, you let that pride rest in your heart, you let yourself self keep thinking nasty stuff about other people, that strife stays there and is allowed to fester. It, open, it kicks the door open and yells out, hey, party over here, and every other kind of evil gets to run on in. I don't know about you, I can't afford that. Right? This is tough enough without every other evil up in here having a party. Right? We got a mission to do and we need to close that door. And one of the ways we do it is love each other and be in a fight with each other all the time to outdo each other in honor, in love and humility. Amen? Woo! Yes! I'm having a good time. All right, I know. We're steeping in it. We're having fun. So he's got us to focus on fighting each other instead of fighting him. If we could just fix that. I think things would change. There was a movie released in 1996 called Independence Day starring Will Smith. Now, here's the first thing I want to say. All you youngins who were born in or after the 90s, keep your comments about how long ago 1996 was all to yourself, okay? Don't want to hear it? Okay, amen. So here's the premise of the movie. The premise of the movie is that a hostile alien race comes here to exterminate humanity and take all the natural resources, okay? That's the premise of the movie. I, I don't. If you don't like sci-fi or whatever, just just track with me for a minute. There's a point here, okay? So here they come. They send these city-sized ships, right? Incredibly large ships, and and, and they, they go all over the earth. So the, these ships, they hover over like Washington, D.C., and uh, Moscow, Beijing, Cairo, Paris, Berlin, and over every other capital and major metropolitan area on earth, right? So it's like this... Huge ship comes in, like the size of the moon, and then all these other ships break off of it, and these ships are like the size of cities, and they go and they hover over every large city and capital in the earth, okay? Um, They they hover there for hours, and then all at once, they open up at the bottom, and they shoot a death ray that decimates every one of the cities within a matter of minutes. The explosion starts right where it happened, and it just like rings out, everything is destroyed. Everybody that didn't get out in time died. I'm going to say something weird to you, but stick with me. I think this might be the best thing that could happen to us as humans. I know. I know. You know why? Here's why. Immediately when that happened, immediately as soon as that happened, those ships opened up, the death ray destroys every metropolitan area all over earth. Here's what happened. All of the ignorant divisions and points of contention between people disappeared. Because all of a sudden we were united by the fact that we had a common enemy. Race, age, socioeconomics, nationality, and every other thing that divides us, these things that we so often let be at the core of our identity, they disappeared. And we were united in fighting this enemy that was bent on destroying us all. We could see racial violence stop tomorrow. We could see law enforcement-related deaths stop tomorrow. We could see gang violence stop tomorrow. We could see wars and genocides stop tomorrow. All of the Miss America pageant contestants could get their sweet little wish, and we could see world peace tomorrow. You know how? You know how that could happen? All those things I just said could happen all, all at once. Tomorrow it could happen. If a ship full of predator-looking aliens showed up and started mercil- mercilessly killing every human in sight. Guess what? All the gang violence stops. Guess what? Now the Crips and the Bloods, they're both killing aliens. All the tensions between races, hating each other over stupid stuff that doesn't even matter, guess what? Now we're back to back and we're fighting predator. I realize it's, it's an out there weird premise, but I need you to understand the point. This stuff that we think is an issue all of a sudden becomes not an issue. So is it really that big of an issue? All of a sudden, national borders, man, when those aliens in that movie showed up and they were over Moscow and Beijing and D.C., guess what? All of a sudden, they were on the phone with each other. Hey, how's it going for you guys? We shot missiles at it. That didn't work. You guys got another plan? When before, man, they weren't talking about nothing. They got nukes pointed at each other. What changed? Common enemy. That wanted to destroy all of them. All of the sudden, if that were to happen, some, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say predator, right? You know what I'm talking about. Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day, the predator. Scariest aliens anyone's ever devised. I mean, look like they got dreads. I mean, they're scary with the mask. They take it off, whoo! I mean, man. I'm not scared of much, but the predator shows up. I'm, man, if I don't get a shot off from a long way, I'm running. So I'm talking about a ship full of predator looking aliens shows up. They start killing everybody because they want this planet. Here's what happens all of a sudden, the US and Russia, they're allies. The rich and the poor, they're allies. The Democrats and the Republicans, they're allies. The Bengals and the Browns, (laughs) allies. All of a sudden, we're on the same team. Why? Because the Predators want to kill all of us. So all of a sudden, the guy I wouldn't have talked to the day before because of some dumb stuff up in my own head, I'm back-to-back with him hoping to keep Predator off of us. You see what I'm talking about? Why? Why does that happen? Because we have a common enemy that wants to kill us all. We would fight together. Here's the kicker, friends. Here's why we need to preach the bad news of the gospel. We do have a common enemy who wants to kill us all. We don't need an alien invasion for that to be true. Those enemies, their names are Satan, sin, and death. And they are much worse than aliens who can end our life on earth because if they win, the loss is eternal. We have a common enemy. And all that's, I, I believe this with all my heart. If somehow people would understand that that's true, all the things that I said could end tomorrow could still end tomorrow without intervention by predator. If people would just understand that we do have a common enemy. We do have someone that wants to absolutely decimate every single person created by God, that wants to draw as many people as possible away from the God that loves them and end them up separated from him for eternity. We have a common enemy. He hates Russians and Americans. He hates Crips and Bloods. He hates Browns and Bengals. He hates rich people and poor people. And he'll use Prejudice and pride and stupidity in all those groups to keep them looking at each other full of hate instead of focusing on him. Because if they would do that, they could break his back and push him back to hell where he belongs. We do have a common enemy. We need to forget about the petty ignorance that divides us and unite under the lordship of Christ. We need to put on our armor and beat back our enemy with the truth of the gospel. This is the only hope for the world. We talked in overarching society-wide terms with with the alien idea. Let's let's bring it down to you because it's easy for us to say, yeah, yeah, everybody should. Yeah, everybody should think better and then it would get better. Okay. Who annoys you the most in this world? Go ahead. Who do you have the most trouble getting along with? Why is that? How important is the beef that you have with them? Right? If the two of you were walking down the street, arguing about whatever it is you would argue about with them, and out from a car jumps a guy with a gun, and he starts screaming at you both to get in the car or he's going to kill you. You're just walking down the street, arguing with that person. Go ahead, imagine in your mind, the person that frustrates you the most in this world. Don't say it out loud, okay? Don't even write it on a piece of paper. Just keep it in your pretty little head. Okay? Who frustrates you the most in this world? And what are the issues that cause that frustration? Now, you're walking next to them, you guys are arguing about whatever frustrates you about each other, and up pulls a van, out jumps a guy with a with a gun and says, Both of you get in this van right now, or I'm gonna kill you. Both, right? Now, some of you are thinking that you would push the person you don't like towards the guy with the gun and run. Okay? And I wanna say this: I really appreciate your honesty but you need to get saved, okay? And we'll have an option for that here towards the end, all right? Um, <laughs> I'd rather you be honest. Thank you for that, but you're, that's bad, okay? The right answer in what should happen is that all of a sudden my problems with that person would be put into perspective and understand they're not that big because right now we have a common enemy who wants to kill us both. We have a common enemy who wants to abduct us both and God knows what they're going to do, right? And so the hope is that whatever petty stuff is, is this issue between us, that could be dropped and we could join together, pick up rocks or whatever's around and beat this guy down. Right? I know we don't fight against flesh and blood, but if someone's trying to put you in a van, you do what you got to, okay? Just, I don't <laughs> Pray, but punch, okay? At the same time. Lord, help me. Pop, pop, right? Go for the nose. Palm strike to the nose. That's the good one. All right. Sensitive there. And right behind the ear is a soft spot there. You get them there, you get running room. Okay. We'll work on that later. Um, All right, so let's go to verse 13 and 14, okay? Uh, 13, and we're just at the beginning of 14. So it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm... Starting verse 14, it says, Stand firm, therefore. So we are commanded here in the light of the armor that God has given us. Here's the command to stand firm. And so we will. We will stand firm in the grace of God. We will stand firm in the love of God. And we will stand firm in the strength of God. And because of this, there should be no word in the Christian language for retreat. Because of just what these verses tell us, we shouldn't even have an idea amongst us of what it looks like to run. There's no need. We don't back down. We push forward. Because our enemy, when we're submitted to God, just keeps running. Amen. Praise God. I don't want to hear about losing. We don't lose. Well, it's not going the way I wish it would. That's not losing. You don't understand. (laughs) Sometimes in the midst of the fight and the journey, God God lets you go through some stuff, and that's, that's called basic training. That's called... Persevering and building character, cultivating hope in you to make you a better soldier. So next time you're going through something, don't don't see you're not losing. You're training. Praise God. I want to be a better soldier, man. I want to be the most lethal black ops, nasty dude on God's army of anybody, man. I just I want devils to scream and run when they see me coming. Because I'm so full of faith and so full of trust in the God that loves me and inhabits me by his spirit. They don't have a chance. Their lives don't stand a chance. Those false saviors and ignorant idols, they don't stand a chance. Am I there yet? No. Nope. But man, I'm going to keep going that way. I want to. And I want you to want that. Why not? Let's push for it. If we're going to be in this fight, let's win. You're in it. You're in it. Right. How are we doing? That's the question. Verse 14. So here we go. Starts breaking down the armor for us. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Okay, when's the last time you girded your loins? Most of you don't know. Okay, I understand we don't use that language very much today. This is reference to a belt. Okay, so your your loins are in this area, and you're girding them up with a belt. Okay, so this this is uh, the belt of truth. Um, we we put that belt on first because that you know. Paul's watching these guys, and and we know from other ancient history that he gives us this in order the way armor would have gone on. So the first thing these guys would have put on was a belt, and that would have gone over the undergarments, uh, and and they put that on first to gather together those flowing undergarments, those clothes that are closest to you, and that would keep those things from kind of wandering out of place and becoming an encumbrance in battle. And so everything else we're going to do is going to be based on the fact that we have the truth in its place that we understand its power, and we're working from that, right? Everything's not going to go wild and crazy on us in the middle of the battle because we've got the truth there close to us, and we understand it, and we're empowered by it, okay? Next he says, um, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is an essential piece of armor uh, to cover and protect the vital organs during battle, Uh, and and honestly, you are as good as dead if you go into battle without a breastplate, okay? You're going to catch a spear, a spear, A sword or or, or an arrow. Anywhere in here, it goes bad for you. Okay? But that breastplate covers that. Uh, and, And it says that this is a breastplate of righteousness. This righteousness is not ours. It's not our righteousness that absorbs the blows from the attacks of the enemy. It is Christ's righteousness that we are allowed to wear by grace through faith. And whenever we are under attack and we try to defend ourselves, hear me, with a list of good things we have done, We quickly find out how frail and fragile and quickly undone our own righteousness is. You try to go out into this battle with a breastplate of your own righteousness, things are going to crumble and fall apart quick. It won't stand up to battle. Jesus' righteousness, we can go all day. And it won't even have a mark on it. It's infinite. It is only the perfect, eternal, and beautiful righteousness of Christ that will withstand any onslaught that the enemy can produce. Next, he tells us to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So these are gospel shoes, okay? Um, the ladies got excited. There's shoes in this armor. Woo! Now we're in. I know, some of you don't care about shoes. Um, the shoes of the gospel of peace. So the word it's important here to understand the word preparation here, preparation of the gospel of peace. It's really to say... Um, it's as if to say like a prepared foundation. Um, so if you read it a certain way, you could think the preparation is the shoes, but it's it's a solid foundation of the gospel of peace. That's the way the language breaks down there. And so, I mean, if you're a part of Love City, this won't be surprising to you. The gospel is the sure foundation for all that we do in the fight, okay? Um, and, and it makes sense that he puts the gospel in this position of being the, the, the shoes because it doesn't matter how strong or capable of a warrior you are, if your feet are injured in a battle, you will easily be overcome. Uh, and actually, if you look in history, uh, Alexander the Great, and, and I can't remember which Caesar, one of them, but it's, it's attributed to them that the fact that they equipped their soldiers with very good footwear is part of how they won their battles, because they could move quickly over rough terrain and uh, their feet would stay okay. And so the gospel protects us to stay in the battle. The gospel is the sure foundation we stand upon, unmovable, right? And it's not going to be wore out. The gospel is the eternal truth by which we fight. And so I'm thankful that I get to shod my feet. Was the last time you shodded yourself with anything, nothing, you don't do that. I get to put on these gospel shoes and I can run hard and far and fast for Jesus. Thankful for that. Next, he, uh, he talks about the shield of faith. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is interesting. The shield that Paul had in mind, it would not be like one of the you know small circle deals, like you'd see Vikings carry. Uh, this would be more of the, the oblong, bigger shield that it would cover the whole soldier. And the reason for that is, in ancient warfare, they would light their arrows on fire. And uh, as they shot, they'd light them, and as they shoot them... Uh, I don't know if you've ever blown on a campfire, but as they shot it and the air was moving, the fire, it would actually burn more intensely as it went through the air. And so what would happen is, um, even, if, even if that arrow didn't make it through the shield, but it only struck it and, and started to, and, you know, if there's multiple arrows, but, but even one really burning good, it could set the shield on fire and it would cause the soldiers to be tempted at least to throw the shield down and become open and vulnerable to attack, okay? Um, oftentimes, the attack of the enemy is intended to try to get you to throw down your faith. If you do that, you can be sure the next arrow is gonna knock you down. I know sometimes the flaming arrows of the enemy come, you hold up that shield of faith, it hits. Man, it's, whatever that lie is, whatever that situation is, whatever that difficulty is, it's, it's, it's challenging what it is you believe that fire is starting to eat away at that shield of faith. But, but we can't throw it down. So often people are like, this is doing me no good, man. This thing's burning. And they throw it down. And, and that's what the enemy wants because then what happens? The next one that comes, you're taking it through the breastplate. You're done. You need the shield of faith. Don't throw away your faith because it's challenged. That's time to grip on to Christ and keep pushing through. Ask for wisdom and answers. Don't let a flaming arrow from the enemy scare you, man. The shield of faith extinguishes them. The only time it doesn't is if you get freaked out and throw the thing down. It'll throw away your shield of faith. You hold that all the way. Stay in the battle. Next, he tells us that we should take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects the head and your mind. There are countless painful results because of sin and the curse that can cause us to be distracted, depressed and discouraged in this life. Is this world jacked up, love city? Yes. Is there stuff in our life personally that can cause us to either be depressed, distracted or discouraged? Yes. If we pay attention to anything outside the sphere of our own little bubble, is there stuff to be discouraged about, distressed about or depressed about? Yes, all kinds. Here's how the helmet of salvation helps us with that. We see the desperate call of the psalmist in Psalm 51:12. Here's what he says. It's a request for God And he said, it's a request of God. And he says to him, he asked God to restore to him the joy of his salvation. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. If all else that we hold dear burns to ash around us, we should be able to rejoice in the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. And we know that salvation will carry us into our eternal rest and restoration. The helmet of salvation is that line of defense that when all else seems like it's going sideways and upside down, it's all flipped over, it's not going right, everything's broken, what am I doing? When I, need, when, I need that, when I need something to grab a hold of, when life seems like it starts to spin out of control, I don't know how all this is gonna go, all this seems broken and busted into so many pieces I can't even count them, I don't know what I'm gonna do next, but here's what I do know today. I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ. I know that if none of this gets right, and this ends up being the, the, the end for me, I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ, and I can have that joy in salvation. And because of that, they can't, they can't get me down. You can't get me to stay down. I don't care if every, every other piece of armor is falling off. If I'm running around, and all I got is my helmet. Here's what I know. I'm saved because Jesus loved me, and he came and got me. And so you're not, you can't get me down. You can't keep me down. I might get distracted, sure. My eyes might wander to the right and to the left. But when I, when I look up and I understand what's over my head, that helmet of salvation, I got joy in my heart. It doesn't matter what everything else looks like. I'm saved by grace through faith. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord comes because we know that we're saved. Thank God for the helmet of salvation. Next, he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon that we are given because it's the only one we need. It is the Word of God, given to us by the Spirit of God. And its razor-sharp blade strikes fear into the hearts of our enemies. In the same way that uh, in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, when Gollum, the, the beast, quivers at the sight of the elven blade called Sting, In the same way, Satan and his cohorts shudder at the idea of a spirit-filled Christian rightly wielding the Word of God. We see the most skillful and powerful display of this type of power when Jesus himself cast down the attempts of Satan to tempt him by speaking the Word of God with boldness. Jesus submitted to God, he resisted the devil, and the devil fled from him. We are promised the same result if we will follow after his example. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, take up the word of God. I'm saying to you, know what James 4.7 says. And know what a bunch of other of these verses say. Know what the promises of God are to you. Know who God has said you are. Know what he said about what it means that the power of God rests inside of you. You know what Ephesians 3.20 says? It says that God can do immeasurably more than we could even ask or think possibly imagine. Do you understand what I just said? You know what a measurably more is? That means God can do so much more than you can ask or think. The, the, the much more, you couldn't even measure it. Here's the kicker. He says he does that by the same powers that work within you. Woo! You feeling tough yet? I am. Come on now. But you got you got to ha- you got to have the word of God. You got to have it enough that you can pull it up out of that sheath and do something with it. And how do we do that? Right. That's what the Bible's talking about when it says, "Death and life is in the power of the tongue." How did Jesus use the word of God? When when the temptation came, he spoke the word. No, Satan, shut up. You're a liar. Here's what God says. Well, turn this turn this stone into bread, man. You're hungry. No, I'm not going to do that. Man doesn't live by bread alone. By every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Well, look, man, just look at all this cool stuff. I, I, I own all this. I'll give it to you. Just serve me instead of God. Get out of here. I serve only God the Father, right? There's one God, and I serve him only. Jesus knew his Bible. That's the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit of God gave us the Word of God, and that is what we fight with, right? And so self-help and, and psychological tactics, and all the other stuff that we, we try to work in here. Look, ultimately, at the end of the day, when it comes to spiritual warfare, you got to have this word. you got to have this word in your heart. you got to have it to where you can pull it out of the sheath and start cutting demons with it. There's a battle going on. What, what's your part? What are you doing in it? That's what I'm trying to say. You can try to ignore Ephesians 10 through 20. You can, you know flip the page, not look at the scary stuff about forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, if you read the whole thing, though, what you don't end up with is a fear about wicked forces in heavenly places. You end up with a whole bunch of boldness because Jesus whoops the wicked stuff in heavenly places, right? The darkness loses, the light wins. It's saying a yin-yang. This is Jesus wins all the time. And you can either be on that squad or you can be on the getting beat down all the time because you believe lies squad. And what's the difference? Really what you do by faith? (laughs) That sounds simple. Yep, pretty much is. Amen. I'm glad this stuff's simple. I'm a simple guy. (laughs) I need it simple. Why is it that the Word of God is so powerful that when it's rightly wielded, it vanquishes its enemies and makes a mockery of their efforts, right? Jesus, when Jesus wins, he, the Bible uses this, this language like he's going to make an open show of his enemies. That's like, that's like when, you know, really mean big brothers go to their little brothers and grab their hands and go, stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself, right? And they're smacking him in the face. Whoever was the little person in that equ- equation, you had, you were the stop hitting yourself. Yeah. You know how embarrassing that is and how just defeated you feel. That's the, when, when Jesus beats his enemies, man, that's what he does to them. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. It's funny that you're trying to fight you little wiener, right? You ain't doing nothing. That's how how Jesus treats the devil. That's the way he deals with him. And yet we walk around somehow intimidated by a roaring lion that's already been beat, that all he can do is lie and deceive and somehow convince you that his power is more than what it really is. If we knew the word, the roar wouldn't work. We know it's just a bunch of hot air that means nothing. Praise God. But why is it the word of God is so powerful? Uh, that that it it not only vanquishes its enemies, but makes a mockery of their efforts. Here's why. Because the Word of God, it's 66 books written by 40 authors over the span of about 1,500 years on three continents in three languages, and yet it tells one story. It tells the story of God's incredible creation, man's foolish rebellion, the resulting curse, God's loving plan for rescue and redemption, And the promise of our full and glorious restoration. Why is it that the word of God is so powerful? Because the word of God in its totality is pointing us to the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the word of God is about Christ and his gospel. Genesis to Revelation It's about Jesus. Think about it. The Old Testament, it it, it gives us our history. It tells us how this thing got going. But, I mean, from from Abraham on, we see it with Abraham and we see it with Jacob and Joseph and Moses and on up to to Rahab and and, 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 uh, and Ruth and, and Boaz. Over and over again, we see these images and we see this history where it's pointing over and over again forward to the coming Messiah. We see David, the anointed king. Right, We see him whooping Goliath. That's not just a story about a little kid beating up a giant. Man, that's a foreshadowing of of somebody who who is anointed as king that's going to fall the enemy that nobody else could. He's going to put himself in the line of fire to save the people that were, were terrorized by this enemy. Over and over again, the Old Testament it's pointing us forward to the coming of Christ. And then we get the Gospels. What do the Gospels do? They tell us that he came. They give us the history of Jesus coming, right? And and he does. The Old Testament points us forward to the fact that it was coming, it was going to happen, and boom, the Gospels come, and they tell us that he came. And then the epistles, right? I'm showing you how this thing all goes together. This isn't a fragmented, you know, hodgepodge of stories that we're supposed to try to draw something out of. This is one narrative from Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. The Gospels tell us that that he came and what he did, that he, that he lived and, and died in our place and rose. And then, and then we have the epistles and they, they tell us how to live in light of the fact that Jesus came and did what he did. This whole thing goes together and it's got one message. Rebel against God, it goes bad. But he loved us so, so much that he made a way to fix that problem. And anybody that rejects that idea and wants to stand in, in, in rebellion against God, They're going to lose. It's going to go real bad for them. God's going to make an open show of their efforts. They're going to end up mocked. Because to to understand this, to see this story the way it's laid out, to understand what God has offered us in Christ, to reject that is the height of foolishness. I thoroughly believe that biblical illiteracy both in God's church and outside, is a primary reason why we don't see more people serving Jesus today. I just don't, I don't think people know what this thing says. I don't think they understand it. I think most people think this is a fragmented set of weird stuff that doesn't make sense to them, and they don't see it as one beautiful narrative, a story of God the Father making us his people, us turning our backs on him, and then him doing everything necessary to have us again. And then a bunch of beautiful promises about what the restoration of that's going to look like. I don't think they see it that way. I think oftentimes we don't live as if that's what this book says. I think when when we live defeated lives, when we live, you know, when we don't live like the the Holy Spirit of God resides inside of us. When we walk around with zero of the authority that Christ gave us, it it doesn't it doesn't bode well for the truth of the power of this gospel. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we're, we're poked a bit today by Paul's admonishment in Ephesians 6. I hope we see a little bit a better picture of what this life should look like. And because, because Jesus came and because Jesus lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, because he died in our place for our sins, because he didn't stay dead and he rose from the grave, because all of that is true, we can stand firm today. We can take up the armor of God, and we can do battle, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in darkness who try to kill us by leading us into the same foolish rebellion that they are a part of. Because of Christ, we can stand in unshakable victory, which is probably why in Romans 8, we are called more than conquerors. Anybody ever thought that weird? I, I did. When I first encountered that scripture, I was a young Christian, and... Um, I knew that my name in Latin like loosely translated to conqueror, so I felt really cool about that. And then I read this verse, and I'm like, more than conquerors, what does that even mean? Like conquerors is what you want to be. That means you're winning, right? But you know, you know, what, a, you know what being more than a conqueror is? When you're on Team Jesus, being more than a conqueror is the fact that we don't even really have to fight. We put our armor on. We are, we're suited up. When we, walk, when we walk in, we're submitted to God all we have to do is walk in, and they flee. There's not even a fight. Again, because we're big and bad, no. Because we're holy and perfect, no. But he is. He lets us wear his breastplate of righteousness. And, and, and the glory that shines off that thing is so blinding to the enemy, they can't even, they can't even put up a fight. I'm thankful for that. Because if, if it came down to me having to fight in my strength, I'd lose every time. I don't have what it takes. But the fact that he's lent me his strength, his righteousness, that I can walk forward in boldness because of who he is, chances are looking good for me. I'd bet on us. Amen. Amen. May we be a people who are strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. May we be a people who are aware of the battle around us and not ones who lose because of ignorance or indifference. May we be a people fully clothed in the armor of God, that we may stand firm. And may we be a people who wield God's word by the power of his spirit, laying waste to our enemies for the glory of our God and King. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord God, first we want to repent. We want to repent for our tendency to be distracted from the truth. We want to repent for the fact that oftentimes we have been ignorant. And indifferent to the fact that spiritual warfare is happening all around us. Oftentimes, Lord, we've been standing or laying on the sidelines, not engaged, not taking up the armor that you provided for us, either because we've been so focused on our own lives and what's going on with us, or we've been intimidated by a roaring lion that's full of nothing but hot air and lies. Lord, for these things we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. And we ask you, Lord, to continually change our understanding. We don't want to become prideful or, or haughty in our, in our own eyes and mind uh, because of these verses. But we want our confidence in you to create in us a boldness that makes us faithful soldiers for you, King Jesus. We need your help for this. The constant tendency is going to be for us to try to shift into neutral and uh, just, just make it. But, Lord, we don't want to do that. We want to take up the armor. We want to suit up. We want to pull out the sword of the Spirit, which is your perfect inspired word, and we want to do war. Lord God, that is clearly your desire for us, that we would not sit unengaged, but that we would stand up and we would join the fight. I thank you, Lord, the fight for us simply means standing up, pulling out that sword, resisting the enemy, and because of the strength and power that comes behind your word, There ain't much of a fight. It's just taking ground for you. It's just expanding your kingdom. We just move forward telling more people the beautiful truth that they need not be hopeless but that there is hope in you. Thank you, Lord. The fight for us is easy because you already won. Lord, how is it that we disengage from a battle like that? How is it that we disengage from a fight that if we really believe what your word says we would win all the time? Lord, how is it that Doing our own thing seems more appealing than that. God, I want to do exactly what it is you called us to do. Help us as a church, as a church family, to be a people that collectively shake the gates of hell. God, I want to do damage to the kingdom of darkness and I want to expand your beautiful kingdom as far as possible on this earth. But we want to do exactly what it is you've assembled us together to do. Help us to be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. Lord, for our good and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.